Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Well, when she parked in the mall parking lot, um, she said, hey, I just got to run in and pick up a few little things. That's that's the last thing she said before she closed the car door. The engine was not running and strapped into a seat in the back was her child. And this is the same thing she said to the police, sobbing an hour later. I just ran in for a few little things. She hadn't realized how long it would take to get those few little things. And while she was getting those few little things, the one thing God had entrusted to her care, that little person, the thing that should have been large in her life, died. There are times that we confuse the big things and the little things. And when our priorities are out of order, we often find ourselves in a pit of despair brought about by our own behavior. Jesus spoke to the issue of priorities and honesty with ourselves before God. It, it sounds like, it might sound like he's talking about money. And at some point he is. But he's teaching about all the little things. Our Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Luke 16, verses 10 and 11. If you are faithful in little things... You will be faithful in large ones. If you are dishonest or unfaithful in little things, you won't be trusted to be honest with greater responsibilities. If you prove untrustworthy about worldly things, worldly wealth, how can I trust you with the true riches of heaven? So I want you to consider the things that God has entrusted to you. What are the things that God has entrusted to you as a steward, as a manager? Has he entrusted you with a child? Has he entrusted you with a family? Has he entrusted you with a home? Has he entrusted you with a field, a financial fortune, a mind, an opportunity, a job, a body, a day? Has God entrusted you with any number of little things. Are you and I being found faithful in the little things? That's a big if. This passage of Scripture begins with the word if. It's conditional. God does not entrust us with greater responsibilities, with greater things, if we prove unfaithful in little things. Why would we think that God would entrust us with new opportunities if we've not been faithful with the opportunities he's already given us? Why would we think God would entrust us with more if we have not been faithful with less? So consider today, are you trustworthy? 
have you proven yourself trustworthy with the little things? When God surveys the earth, what is he looking for? He's looking for faithfulness. The question is, in whom will he find it? I hope he finds us faithful today, even in the little things, maybe especially in the little things. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, do you have a favorite artist, maybe um, a a painter you love, maybe somebody who um, sketches, maybe it's watercolor. You have a favorite artist, maybe you have a favorite sculptor. Uh, Let me confess that I was not aware of Wesley Wofford until yesterday, but Wesley Wofford is a sculptor. Uh, He is... Married to a woman named Odyssey, and uh, they live in Cashers, North Carolina. And if you were to uh, Google Wesley Wofford and, um, and you were to look at the things that he has made, you would say to yourself, now here is a person who has cultivated a real talent. Here is a person with some obvious skill. Uh, he, I heard him describe it yesterday in, a, in an on-air conversation with another radio host. I heard him say, you know, I, I have this ability to, to take a lump of clay and actually make it look like a person. Like he has this ability. You would call it a gift, but it is also a gift that's cultivated over time. Um, he is quite an accomplished artist. And so um, a number of years ago now, <clears throat> 2017, I think, he was commissioned to, uh, to create a piece called Journey to Freedom. It is a piece that features uh, the likeness of Harriet Tubman, chronicles her, her journey. And um, uh, people really loved this commissioned piece of art. And, um, and so they did a 19-city tour of, um, of a traveling version of the, of the sculpture. And it really resonated with people. It moved people. It, um, it touched people. It communicated. This is what art is designed to do, and this is what artists long for, right? To, to have the privilege of bringing something um, from a lump of clay, in this, in this case, uh, that actually moves people, and moves people not only emotionally, but into conversations about um, important things. And so this piece of art, this journey to freedom piece of art, moved people in these ways and continues to do so. So the city of Philadelphia saw this sculpture, um, this, the traveling version of Journey to Freedom, and reached out to Wesley Wofford to commission something similar for their city. Because if you look around uh, the city of Philadelphia, which is a significant city in Harriet Tubman's life, um, when you look around that city, there's lots and lots of sculptures of Benjamin Franklin and remarkably few, almost none, of Harriet Tubman. And so the city of Philadelphia uh, commissions, works through the process of commissioning a piece by Wesley Wofford. Well, in the process of um, that contract being finalized, um, 
others, let's say, became aware of this process that the city was engaged in to create this piece of public art. Wesley Wofford is a public artist. He's also very soft-spoken. He has the real heart of an artist. Um, other people in our outrage culture became aware. And what I have not told you to this point is the color of Wesley Wofford's skin because I view it as irrelevant. But others review the color, uh, regard the color of his skin as incredibly important to this conversation. So Wesley Wofford grew up in rural Georgia, now lives in North Carolina. There's no critiques about his art, no critiques whatsoever about the quality of the work that he does by his hands. It's the color of his hands that's a problem. He has been um, sidelined. Um, the uh, commissioning process was ended and then a new process created by which the city um, had this like open call for artists to submit ideas. And um, because he felt like uh, his ideas, if submitted, would um, have already been seen by those reviewing, they would know which one was his. And would, there'd be nothing blind about um, about his submission. So he didn't uh, participate in what is now the open call um, and the five people who um, are the finalists now for the city of Philadelphia's commissioned work related to Harriet Tubman are all black. And they argue that um, that matters. It's critically important, says one of the artists interviewed. It's critically important um, that our stories be told by um, our people. So, I heard Wesley Wofford interviewed yesterday, and I thought to myself, um, this is a conversation that we all need to be having. We need to be engaging in. He said art is supposed to be a universal language that transcends gender, race, and culture. Uh, He said, this is a skill set that I have. If a black community comes to me as a white male and says, we want to utilize your skill set to tell our story, is my response supposed to be, I only sculpt white people? That's absurd. He's right. That's absurd. We have arrived at a point of absurdity in this conversation. So the question transcends the world of sculpture, for sure. This is a question and a conversation that is happening in music. It's happening in fashion. It's happening in stage acting. It's happening in film. Um, and so what are the limits? What are the what are the limits here? Because race is not the only protected quote-unquote group, race, color, national origin, religion, age, sex, sexual orientation, physical, mental disability. Um, I would add to that in the culture today a history of particular trauma or life experience, marital status. How about a history of incarceration? How would we ever tell a story? How would we ever tell a story of war or ethnic cleansing or all the things that are done in the dark, how would we ever bring those stories to light if the only people, if the only people who could play those roles and tell those stories or produce that art were the actual perpetrators of it? That is absurd. Should the cast of The Chosen all be played by ethnic Jews 
who have come to faith in Jesus Christ? How about a person portrayed as healed by Jesus? Must that role be played by an actually paralyzed or actually leprous person and then replaced in the role when that person is healed? Here's a pull quote from the New York Times article. Some say that artists should have the freedom to pursue their vision on any subject regardless of their race or ethnicity. Others believe that identity and expression are inextricably linked and that art about black people should only be created by someone who has shared that history. We have all shared that history, my friends. How would I ever tell a story um, if, if I couldn't include characters and the storylines of characters who are not like me? There's a real worldview question here. How could we ever tell someone, answer, someone else's story? How could we ever be a voice for the voiceless, as it says in Proverbs? If we were never allowed to use our gifts, talents, abilities in order to bring to the fore the experience, the lived experience of people or people groups other than ourselves. These are the kinds of questions you and I need to be prepared to engage in in the conversations of the day and bring the mind of Christ to bear. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at myfaithradio.com. Today in history. So today is September the 1st, 2023. And today is the day that World War II began in 1939. Today was that day. Um, September the 1st, 1939, World War II began as Nazi Germany invaded Poland. Um, nobody, almost nobody took note. Like, I mean, in not in any real or substantial um, way. I mean, like, like life went on. And life will go on today as the people of Gabon um, have experienced a coup, um, which is the sixth in that region of Africa just in the last few months. Is anybody paying attention? Today, on September the 1st, 2023, a man who was 14 years old when Germany invaded Poland was charged with 3,000 counts of accessory to murder for his role as a guard um, at the Sachahatchen concentration camp between 1943 and 1945. So that is a concentration camp um, just a little bit north of Berlin, and some 200,000 people um, were taken there between this day in, uh, in 1936 and 1945. So um, half of them died there. They experienced systemic extermination by shooting and hanging and gassing. Tens of thousands also died of starvation, disease, forced labor, the results of medical experiments. This went on for three years prior to 
September 1st, 1939, when World War II officially began, when Nazi Germany invaded Poland. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on prior to the sort of day in history. So today, this 98-year-old German man is being charged. And if he is tried, he's going to face, he's going to face charges, more than 3,000 counts. But he's going to face charges under a juvenile law because he was a juvenile at the time. 80 years is a long time to live with the knowledge of whatever his role was as an SS guard. 80 years is a long time to live with this kind of horrific truth. He watched tens of thousands of people die. It's a good day, I think, um, to start a never forget list. Do you have a never forget list? Um, If you have a bumper sticker on, if you still own a car that you bought as far back as 2001, you might have a never forget sticker on it because uh, never forget was um, definitely the clarion call about 9-11. But you know, 9-11 was 2001 and most of us have sold our cars we had in 2001. And, um, and so, you know, we don't have a bumper sticker that says that anymore. What's on your never forget list? Is the Holocaust on your never forget list? Is 9-11 on your never forget list? Is the Last Supper on your never forget list? Is the crucifixion of Jesus on your never forget list? The word remember appears more than 240 times in the Bible. Deuteronomy 6.12 says, take care to remember lest you forget. So take care to remember today, to actively review the truth of who God is, what God has done. Why? Because we are a forgetful people. Our, our memories are leaky. Let's take time today. Let's take care today to remember lest we forget. Isaiah 46.9 says, remember the former things of old. I am God and there is no other. I am God. There is none like me. Remember this. Exodus 20 verse 8. This is a good, uh, good, good one to consider this weekend. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's not just a day off. It's a day dedicated to cultivating our memories and remembering, becoming members again. That's what remembering means, by the way. It's to remind ourselves, to remind, to renew our minds, to bring our mind into uh, the mind of Christ, to remind, to remember, to become members again of an event. So to remember the Last Supper is to go there in your heart, in your mind, by your actions, and to remember, to become a member again of that event. So, um, like every feast that is celebrated in the Old Testament, every day of remembrance that is established, every memorial that is erected, these are a call, a call to remember, a place, a time, an event. It's an opportunity for us to return in our minds through action to an event in history, to remember, to become a member again of the events of the Last Supper. When he had given thanks, Jesus broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, also, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you declare the Lord's death until he comes again. It is an act of remembrance, becoming a member again. So what do you remember when you pray? Not just giving intellectual assent to the reality that there is a God, but actually remembering God, returning in your heart and your mind to the times and places where God has demonstrated his greatness and his power and his grace, his faithfulness, his goodness, his mercy, and his love. Do you remember Do you remember the power of God in the person of Christ? Do you remember his glory? Remind yourself today. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Remember the name of the Lord in the night. Remember the days of old. Meditate on all that God has done. Ponder the work of God's hands. Remember God. Never forget his mercy. New every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Let's spend some time remembering today. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Who do you know who is on the inside? Um, Extraordinary percentage of Americans know someone who is currently incarcerated. All of us know someone who has been incarcerated. Do you know somebody that's currently on the inside? Um, Have you been into a prison Have you been to visit someone um, in prison? Jesus certainly talks about that, and we certainly see um, the imprisonment of Peter and Paul, um, John the Baptist, so many who are imprisoned for the sake of Christ. Um, Imprisonment today, incarceration today in the United States of America is um, an overwhelming reality. And we hear it discussed as a political issue, but it's a it's a deeply personal and human concern. We're talking about individuals um, whose freedom has been um, limited in very, very significant ways. And our friend Dan DeWitt, who we have uh, here every couple of weeks, um, he has spent some significant time in prison lately. And so we want to talk with him. Prison bars and rental cars is the reflection posted at theolatte.com. We're going to have him come and just talk about his experience um, from inside a maximum security prison. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So Professor Dan DeWitt is back with us today. You can find what he's writing at theolatte.com. Com. Uh, Dan, you um, you have already taught a course in this fall semester. Um, it was in a different context than where you generally teach. So tell us about your time at a maximum security prison in Texas. Well, good morning, Carmen. It was it was amazing. Um, in short, <laughs> the, the very short version of it. So I um, a few weeks ago received a, an invitation from um, a a young lady who I knew from seminary years ago. Her and her husband are very actively involved in running a, a program for inmates in the state of Texas um, 
to become field ministers. So they actually are able to earn an accredited uh, undergraduate degree, and then they are um, they serve in a capacity as an inmate um, within the Texas prison system. So there are 22 prisons that participate in in this program. Men from 22 different prisons can apply for it, and if they are accepted, they are transferred to the particular prison that I was teaching at. And um, and when they graduate, they then are sent out to another prison. So it was just absolutely remarkable. When I received the invitation, I immediately thought, oh, I'm, I want to do this. But I spoke with my wife and we prayed about it in terms of our calendar. And I just had an amazing, amazing time. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of a tee up for what it is and what the, the program looked like. And there's so many stories I'd, I'd be happy to share. So tell me which direction you you want to go, Carmen. Um, I want to talk about the inside and the outside. I want to talk about different mm. worlds, but one world. Um, mm. And so uh, you you walk us into your experience. Like what what was it like walking in there the first time? What was it like walking out the last time? Yeah, you know, it was, it was of course, I was anxious. Um, I, I don't I don't want to say I wouldn't say I was fearful, but I was anxious, to be totally honest. And so I met the gentleman who's over the program um, there at the facility really early in the morning. And so my hotel was about a 35 minute drive away and we met there at six in the morning. So it was an early morning. And um, as you go in, you know, you see the outside of the facility, the kind of facility you typically would. I grew up in a town that had a a prison um, on the outskirts of town. So I'm used to driving by a, a facility that I just you notice and don't think much of. And it's very different when you're driving there with the intention to go in. And as we entered um, the area where, you know, you kind of enter a secure area and you go through several checkpoints before you get to where the prisoners are. And so there's, you know, kind of a, that process. And the very first thing you do is there's a pulley system with a bucket um, and the pulley system carries the bucket up to a tower. And so it's kind of old school, you know, you put your ID in and they hoist the bucket up to them and the the guard up there looks at your ID and looks down at you, which seems like, you know, th- there might be some kind of technological system that could be in place to make that a bit easier. But nonetheless, they approve your ID, open the gate, which um, then you go to like a little holding area and you have to wait until the gate behind you is closed. Every system has two gates. And so there, you never have both gates open at the same time. So every area kind of works that way. And so once you get in, it's like being at the airport. You have a metal detector. You put all your clothes in. You're not all your clothes. <laughs> That'd be a whole nother, um, a whole nother <laughs> level of screening. <laughs> but you um, have to take your belt off and your shoes off, et cetera. Um, and so once you get through that, um, the final checkpoint, you show your ID one more time. And then that gate opens and you're stepping into the main hallway. And I talk about that in my post. Um, and that's the moment where you tell it's real, because in that it, in that area that you're stepping into this long, broad hallway that's separated by different halls that are adjoining, um, where there are three levels, three stories of cells. And so as you're walking through that area, there are hundreds of prisoners at different times of the day who are walking through that same area. And so the moment you step into that is the moment it becomes real. And 
for me, that was a bit overwhelming. It's almost dizzying kind of looking out through all these bars because you, you're used to looking in a building where you see, you know, one wall that opens up to another hallway with walls, but here you're just, everything's bars and open space and men everywhere. Um, and so as we're walking along and my host told me, it's okay to make eye contact. And that was helpful for me because you don't know what you're supposed to do or not supposed mm -hmm. to do. And so they led us through this long hallway and you get to the end of it and you go out into a courtyard, which a lot of the prisoners really don't spend time outside because at this particular prison, um, it's all in one building with one exception. There is a building that was built by the host who brought me in. He, he and his family paid to have it built and it's a college and it's the only building there that's air conditioned. So it's Texas and, you know, three stories of cells and it's not air conditioned. So these men, when they get out there to that, to that college and it's air conditioned and they sit down in an air conditioned facility, um, a lot of them fall asleep almost immediately because their bodies just relax. And so in teaching the class, um, there's so many ways I could go. And I'm trying to keep my thoughts on, on track here. But Carmen, I'll just say this. Within five minutes, I felt like I was just teaching a seminary class. Mm -hmm. These students were absolutely exceptional. So the students um, are escorting you um, in, in parts of your time there. Um, you get to know some of them. Um, they are marked by humility in many cases. Mm -hmm. This is one of the things that you that you talk about um, in your post. Again, we're talking with Dan DeWitt. You can read his entire post, Prison Bars and Rental Cars, at theolatte.com. I'm happy to send you the direct link if you just want to text me, 877-933-2484. Um, there's so much here that we could talk about. Um, I think that... Maybe you could just introduce us to one of the people that you met, someone who just, you know, right now maybe stands out in your mind and uh, maybe that, that the Lord brings to mind. Um, did you hear any of their stories? Um, oh, my goodness, Was there Carmen, opportunity yeah. to get to know them at all? There really was. In fact, um, so I had a couple students who were assigned to me who are graduates of the program. And I, I think as they're, you know, kind of re- They'll transfer to another prison where they'll serve. Um, and again, this doesn't change their sentences. I, I, I want to say that um, most of the men I taught and got to know will never get out of prison. Um, and two, one of the concerns the host organization has is for the victims. And so not to, um, you know, in any way speak of the people who are there who've done some really horrific things in a way that'd be harmful to the victims. And so all of that, it was new to me to think through, um, but I don't know what any individual, you know, um, student has done, wouldn't Google their name because that's not something I, I was concerned about. Um, but there was one particular student, I'll just call him C, and he C would escort me through that main hallway. And um, on one occasion, um, one of the first times he did that for me, he said, you know, I'm I'm just going to watch out for you. And uh, he just made it a, a kind of, you know, kind of a throwaway comment um, and didn't bring it up again, didn't say anything else about it. But I knew that if someone if there was a reason someone wanted to hurt me, they would have to go through him. And this individual so clearly loved the Lord and one of the, the one of and had just a settled joy um, 
And one of the things that I learned in prison and I was reminded of, I had to go to prison to be reminded of the joy of just knowing Jesus and to be around men for whom Jesus is everything. Um, and they had to to find that truth at the end of a very hard road. So I don't want to glorify that at all. And they wouldn't want me to, I'm sure. But where they're at now is just a determination to serve. And he was sharing with me some of the kind of shenanigans they have to deal with people stealing things from them, um, you know, people cutting from them in in the mess hall. And sometimes they run out of food. Um, sometimes people will cut in line and get extra portions of food because they know someone working behind the you know, in the food line and they're able to sell that food later on. And so, you know, having someone cut in front of you in the mess hall could be a, a, the difference between eating and not eating. And I made a comment to the effect of like, how do you not just get angry in that moment? How do you not let it get to you? And he said something that is just going to stick with me. He said, I have come too far in my walk with Jesus than to give it all up for some guy who's cutting in front of me in line. Mm. And that kind of determination to spiritual progress was so humbling and convicting. And so on our last walk through that main hallway, um, the day I was flying out and I talk about how, you know, for me, it was just so such a foreign concept to step out of the area where the the prisoners could go no further. And I just walked through it out to my rental car. It seemed kind of surreal, the contrast. But right before we left, a, an inmate at the last checkpoint um, made it clear to see that um, that he was not doing well. And so my student quickly grabbed me by the shoulder, pulled me over and we huddled together. This is my last memory in the prison. And, and he prayed for this fellow um, inmate. And um, when he got done praying, that man clung to him like a child would cling to a mother sobbing. And I was able to say to see before I left with tears in my eyes and tears in his eyes, that you have such a powerful ministry here. And Carmen, I said, you know, do, I had asked him earlier, do you spend as much time in the college as you can? Like I was thinking it's air conditioned. It's, you know, it's a very different environment than you have in the main prison. And I assumed his answer was going to be, oh yeah, every waking moment I could be in that building I am. And he said, no, actually, I, I really prefer to be um, in the main building so I could have my ministry thriving. And I was just reminded of this, this joyful, self-forgetful, um, humble, kind of ministry and service that the Lord calls all of us to. And I had to go to a Texas prison to, to get that reminder. Um, it's It reminds me of the conversation that we had um, with Dewey Williams. Um, he His ministry has taken him into, um, well, onto death row, um, particularly in North Carolina with inmates there. Um, and he um, reflected on that with us. His book is called Finding Joy on Death Row. And mm. and so when you talk about the joy and the humility that you experience, um, that you experienced in redeemed people in the context of a maximum security prison, um, and, and I think about um, conversations that I have had, one in particular with some guys outside of um, the Union Rescue Mission in Washington, D.C., many years ago now. Um, and and they were talking about, you know, the, how much the world had changed while they were on the inside 
if these were mm-hmm. formerly incarcerated men and how little credit the world gave them for all the ways they changed while they were on the inside. And so if we really do believe that God makes people new um, in Jesus Christ, then these brothers who are on the inside and doing ministry that we could never do because mm-hmm. our, you know, uh, the path that we have walked has not led us physically to the same place that the path they have walked has led them. Um, our sins have not been by the world's standards as great as theirs. But, you know, in God's in God's judgment of things, like sin is sin is sin. And we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so redemption is necessary. Life change is necessary. This um, obedient response to the call of Christ is necessary in all of our lives. And so I love what you say about different worlds, but but all one world and mm. um, different paths, but ultimately one way. Um, and that Jesus alone has the words of life. So thank you so much for the post and the conversation about it. Again, you guys can read the whole thing. Um, it's called Prison Bars and Rental Cars. It's posted at theolatte.com. I'm happy to send you the direct link. Just text me, 877-933-2484. We'll continue our conversation with Daniel DeWitt in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Daniel DeWitt, who posts at Theolatte.com, is with us this morning. Again, I'm happy to send you um, the link to his latest piece, prison bars and rental cars. It's a reflection on the week he spent in a maximum security prison in Texas um, in a college setting with more than 30 students there, men who, most of whom will spend the rest of their lives behind bars for um, crimes that they committed, but who many of whom have since come to Christ and are our brothers in the faith. And so this is a college experience that um, they are provided through a particular ministry, and then they actually become ministers in other prisons. So after they graduate from this program, they then um, they go into become field ministers in um, in some 42 prisons across the state of Texas. So really, really uh, in, incredible, um, transformative ministry and thrilled that Dan had the opportunity to go and serve. Dan, we ask you to reflect um, with us on uh, the beginning of the fall semester here as students uh, go to college for the first time or return to college. And what what I asked you to think about was, you know, over the course of, of serving um, in a college setting, you've encountered a lot of incoming students and, you know, they arrive the first time and some of them I think they have a biblical worldview or a Christian worldview or a gospel worldview because, you know, they were raised in church and homeschooled and all the good things, right? Or went to Christian schools or classical schools and um, and they think they have 
a biblical worldview. I'm guessing that over the course of time, there are some patterns to the holes or the gaps that students arrive with. So could you just reflect with us on some of that? Yeah, you know, there are great kind of life transitions that make you reevaluate your commitments. So I think graduating high school is one. I think college is filled um, with those kind of events. Getting married is one of those kind of transitional moments that you reflect on what you believe and why you believe in them having kids um, is, is a significant part of it. And I think for students, what the, I, the concept that comes to mind is the concept of a paradigm shift, which is what happens when your way of seeing the world accumulates too many anomalies. Now, it's all kind of technical language. When you find something that you can't figure out that doesn't line up with your belief system, um, you can live with some amount of tension or what psychologists might call cognitive dissonance. I believe this, but I'm experiencing something different. But if you get too many of those, then eventually you're going to start looking for a way of making sense of the world that can also account for all these anomalies. And that's what's described as a paradigm shift. For college students who are, for the first time, maybe critically considering what are some of the challenging things in their faith? What are some things that are hard to fully make sense of from their Christian way of seeing the world? And if we're honest, we all have some of those. If they suppress those doubts and questions in time, they're going to kind of bubble to the surface. And so what I like to say to my students is pay attention to your questions, pay attention to your doubts but don't freak out. Um, Having studied worldview and having taught philosophy and theology for a long time, I I will say this, and I know I'm biased as a Christian, but, you know, I'm trying to at least state my bias up front. I have not found a way of making sense of reality that better accounts for the human experience, that better answers the deepest longings that have been expressed through all of our major questions and philosophical ponderings. I've not found a better system than Christianity. And even better than that, Christianity has the added advantage of it being demonstrated with certainty in our hearts. And I know that that's not going to sound convincing to someone who is not a believer. It sounds crazy. Um, But according to the Bible, the Holy Spirit gives us certainty. We can know that God is real. We can know that we're his child through the testimony of the Holy Spirit, what Christians experience at conversion. So I tell I tell Christian students, don't freak out, um, but pay attention to your doubts. I tell non-Christian students, um, I invite them into considering what the world looks like through the Christian lenses. And I'm convinced that there's no better way to make sense of what it feels like to be human than the Christian account of the world. This idea that we would invite um, one another to look through other lenses, like that that in and of itself would be a healthy exercise for all of us. Uh, I think we probably assume too often that the people we're with share our worldview. Um, and I have discovered um, that, you know, the person sitting next to me in church, if I actually take the time to get to know them, um, they they often don't see things exactly as I do. I cannot assume that the person um, with whom I am worshiping even sees things as I see them because, you know, we have walked different paths to the place where we are now. And hopefully we're both authentically walking with Jesus. But sometimes I have discovered that my sense of walking with Jesus and somebody else's sense of walking with Jesus can be very different. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where, you know, 
moving from monologue to us just talking to talking mm. to people to to dialogue is so important. Um, and for me, as someone who gets the opportunity to teach or speak, you know, when I do Q and A, it's always so informative because it could be easy to look at one person and think, "Oh, they're totally with me. Um, we're on the same page." And then they ask a question, and you realize actually they're not, and that's helpful to know. And then there's someone else I might look at who think and that I think. I mean, you know, based on their whatever their body language or responses, like the, yeah, they're not with me. And then you realize actually they're totally with me. And so um, ask questions, be curious. I always say that to my students, the greatest way to improve your evangelism, of course, is prayer. But one of the greatest ways, let me say it that way, is being curious about others. Um, That's going to lead to so many conversations, which in turn will lead to opportunities. Um, Dan, how can we be praying for you this week? Well, I will be headed to um, Southwest to SBU, the the university where I teach. Um, I'll be speaking there next week, and so I'm preparing for that. And I would love your prayers for there's my wife's home church, um, which is about an hour away from us, near it's close to Cincinnati, um, Ohio. Um, they have asked me to be a part of their teaching rotation. And so this coming Sunday will be my first Sunday um, to jump in with them. We're active members at our church in our community, but once a month I'll be traveling there to teach. And so would appreciate your prayers for that. Um, Thank you so much for asking. Yeah. Um, Father, grant your grace, your travel mercies. We know you've prepared Dan's heart and mind for the students at Southwestern and also for the students at this church outside of Cincinnati. Um, Father, continue to cultivate in his heart this experience, this recent experience that he's had um, in Texas and continue to um, bring positive righteous fruit in the lives of the men um, with whom Dan labored um, inside that prison. Grant your grace this day as we each seek to pursue Christ um, in the days in which we live. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, brother. Amen. Thanks, Carmen. Have a great day. Absolutely. Thanks. We've got another hour together up next. We're certainly going to have the Friday Farm Report and catch up with our friend Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. We're also going to talk about how to practically walk with Jesus in our daily life. Um, Kim uh, Dolan Leto is going to be back. We're going to talk about living like Jesus for our best health. All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.